All righty. Well, good morning. Whoa, that is good. Okay. I always forget what my voice sounds like. Thank you, Michael. Good morning, First Christian Church family. For those of us that have gathered here, I'm really excited to see everybody, and I love uh, seeing the little ones play back there and really get into drawn in their uh, artful side, uh, if you will. Um, for everyone else that is joining us online, thank you for tuning in. Uh, it means so much you're here, and while I do enjoy and love seeing all the faces here uh, and getting to meet with people in person, uh, we also completely understand uh, as folks want to take it slower as we continue to reopen uh, so they feel comfortable uh, coming here as well. well. I have a few things I just want to mention today uh, before we pass it over eventually to John for communion and uh, a little bit down the road, you know, maybe we'll hear from Scott. We'll see. Uh, so we have a couple things, like I said, the first two things that we're just going to briefly touch on and remind everybody of. Uh, we do have a young adults group that's starting up that meets on the first and the third. Uh, well, it's not starting up. It's been going. Meets on the first and the third uh, Monday of every week here at 645. Um, and then we also, of course, have the Sermon 2.0 series that I would normally point to Barry. But Barry is not here because he's camping in the mountain with some kids right now. So uh, we'll just pray for his continual sanity as well as uh, protection for everybody up there. The next couple things that I'm excited to announce, uh, Pastor Scott is uh, currently leading a uh, Gospel Concarne group, and this meets Tuesday nights, and this is, uh, it meets here at First Christian, 6 o'clock to 8. They're going through the book of Daniel, and really what they're doing is getting into the meat of the gospel and having some really uh, it, intense, I might, would be probably the correct phrasing there, uh, conversation. So if you're looking for something a little bit meatier um, and just diving in, digging in, uh, and uh, having some real discussion, uh, I highly recommend you check that out. Um, and then lastly, and this is a really exciting announcement, uh, through our relationship with a number of other restoration churches, uh, we are planning on launching um, some monthly youth gatherings. And so the first one will be here March 20th, that is a Saturday. Uh, and this is going to, we're going to have more information as it comes out, but we've been meeting with a small uh, select group of individuals uh, so that we can uh, push these things forward, fellow ministers, fellow pastors, uh, and just fellow leaders of, uh, of youth ministry. Um, we're really excited for that and to see everything kick off. Um, maybe gathering in a group uh, is not your forte. Maybe you want to be outside, and maybe you want to help us with some uh, projects around the church, if you have any free time. Uh, we have a lot of weeding that needs to be done. And whether it's one plant being pulled or a thousand, any help throughout the parking lot area as we get ready for the grand reopening uh, Easter Sunday it would be so much help, and we'd really appreciate that um, from everybody. And last but not least, uh, I want to just say uh, that all of these things are great opportunities for us to gather outside of a Sunday morning uh, to really dig into that community and that family feel that I know uh, so many of us, unless, you know, you're the Gomez's and you have a thousand kids, um, 
are, are craving and missing at times. But anyway, without further ado, I'd like to pray as we welcome up John as he uh, has prepared a communion message for us and to lead us in that. Father God, I thank you for this day. We thank you, God, that we're able to gather together. We're able to stand in your house, sit in your house, gather in your house of worship uh, and receive a message. But even more than that, God, we are just thankful for your son. We are thank you for the community that uh, he has been able to uh, bring out of us and bring us into. And uh, God, I just pray that you would bless this day. Keep us safe. Keep us secure. Um, but God, keep us hungry and ever more hungry for you. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. So I, I heard myself say this week, now this is a mess, meaning I was in a situation I didn't want to be in. And it struck me that the word mess really covers a lot of situations. And I think I say that a lot. Uh, I'm in a mess now. Um, mess can mean chaotic, cluttered, disordered. Like this place is a mess. I'm sure we've all walked into one of our kids' rooms and said that. Unkept or sloppy, like messy hair. A quantity, like where my family comes from, if they say they're going to make a mess of greens, that means they're going to make a lot of green leafy vegetables. And they're going to make it for a meal that's called, called the mess often, and it's served in a mess hall. Mess can be an action, meaning to handle or touch, like messing with somebody's stuff or an experiment with something for understanding, like to mess around with something to figure it out, or to interfere, to mess with, like don't mess with me. But I think it's uses, I use it most, I find myself in the middle of that situation that I don't want to be in, and I'm in a mess. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to tell the Corinthians they are messing up and they have a mess at the Lord's Supper. The meal Paul is talking about is known as an agape feast, or a love feast. The practice was for the church families to join together, bringing their own food, but to share it in a common uh, meal. A portion of the meal included the sacred observance of the Lord's Supper, taking the bread and the wine, representing the body and the blood of Christ. We can see in Paul's writing, the agape feast had deteriorated into eating and drinking selfishly and showing off at the expense of the sacred observation of the Lord's Supper. So here's from 1 Corinthians 20, 20 and 22. When you meet together, you don't really celebrate the Lord's Supper. We even start eating before everyone gets to the meeting. And some of you go hungry while others get drunk. Don't you have homes where you can eat and drink? Do you hate God's church? Do you want to embarrass people you don't, that don't have anything? What can I say to you? I certainly cannot praise you. So this love feast or fellowship meal is also mentioned in Jude 1.12. And I know Jude really doesn't have any chapters, but it's easier to say. And 2 Peter 2. In both instances... 
The author is identifying a problem, a mess, that needs to be addressed. In Jude 12, these people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown among, um, along by the wind, autumn leaves without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. In 2 Peter 2.13, their destruction is the reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures, even in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. So back to Paul and his message to the Corinthians. And uh, those at home, uh, Ron has handed out our emblems here. I would suggest you get ready. Uh, so I'm going to pick up in verse 23 of chapter 11. For I this is Paul speaking. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and he gave thanks for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, excuse me, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Please pray with me. Lord, we mess up and need your correction. You're always just and your correction is always fair. We are not different from the Corinthians. We drift away from those things that we know are right and just. Please forgive our careless thoughts and actions. We join together as your family, your bride, to honor the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Morning, everybody. Ooh, caught this thing here. Ooh, let's quit steaming up my glasses. Okay, that's really good. Um, I had uh, the pleasure again last night of officiating my third uh, marriage since COVID hit, and um, 
It's always interesting. You have to talk a lot louder when you have your masks on, but the bride and groom, when they're right here, they really want you to have your mask on. <laughs> so it's been interesting. It was wonderful. If you haven't ever been out to the Ruth Bancroft Gardens in Walnut Creek, it's a succulent garden. I'd never been there. I've lived in this area since the late 70s, and it was it's just a gorgeous place, a beautiful wedding. But I'm a little tired now, so <laughs> bear with me. Hey, I did have a couple of prayer requests I just want to bring to the table. Um, in our last week's newsletter, um, if you don't receive our weekly newsletter and would like to by email, you can um, just hit me up, email me at four, the number four, pastorscott at gmail.com, and I can add you to that list. But we've started also adding in prayer requests for people that are asking for it. And so I have some this morning I just wanted to bring up. Um, one is for a woman named Kathleen Van Buskirk, which I don't think most of you know, but she uh, watches online, might be watching right now. Hi, Kathleen. And um, has attended a lot of our online Bible studies. And um, this last week they discovered a blockage in her um, intestine. And so from a mass, she's okayed me sharing this. And so um, she's in a bad way right now. We just want to be praying for her. Again, her name is Kathleen. And um, we also prayed for a friend of Ron's named Craig, who ended up in hospice and was ready. Um, well, he wasn't ready, but he was probably going to pass away. And uh, we prayed for him a for a while, and he got better. <laughs> and so he's just at the stage now where he's still in hospice months later, but he's gotten so much better um, as we began praying for him and his body you know, began healing that he's transitioning back out of hospice. So that's a real praise, but we want to keep praying that that keeps going. And then lastly, um, Joseph Anvu, uh, his father was in the hospital and was ill. Um, and we were praying for him this last week and his father has gotten out of the hospital and is doing much better, but still needs prayer just to, just to make sure things keep healing. So we see the power of prayer uh, moving in our congregation, which is amazing. Um, it's neat to see things happen that you can't quite explain medically, but you can certainly explain spiritually through Christ as he continues to be our healer. So let's pray for these people. Father God, I just thank you um, for your healing. And uh, we don't always know if you will heal, that you may have other things in mind, um, but we always know you can. And so we just continue to um, put our request before your feet, Father. And this morning we especially pray for Kathleen that you would um, help the doctors remove this blockage and heal her quickly and that um, it would not progress beyond that point with anything else. We pray for Craig too. We thank you for answering our prayers for him and bringing him back from the brink into health and that he would continue to make uh, improvements and transition out of hospice care. We also pray for Joseph's dad, Anvu, and uh, we're just so thankful that you healed him as well and brought him back home, but understand that he's still weak, and we just ask that you continue to encourage him and energize him and remind him of who has done this healing. And uh, in all these things, we just are grateful for you. Um, please be with these words as I speak feebly your powerful um, story. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Whew, I shouldn't have closed my eyes that long. I am tired. All right. <laughs> Reminds me of my student days when I'm getting a lecture from our professor. But anyway, um, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be uh, in verses 17 through 36. So we're going to start in Luke 6, 
uh, 17 this morning. And as always, these are some really powerful verses in the Bible. And we're just, I'm just going to preach a few uh, verses and then stop and kind of point out some things that I feel God has revealed to me this week in there. And really, as I've said in this first slide, for me, this is just part of the Jesus journey. Like, I had a conversation with someone this morning who, um, not from our church, who was saying that they just want to feel the presence of God. They want to see God. They want to hear God. And it's really frustrating. And um, why can't we just do that? And I was telling him, you know, when I, when I read through passages of the Bible, um, like, like the ones I'm about to, that when I'm preparing for a message or doing a devotional reading on my own or reading this morning, I always think about what it would be like to be one of those disciples walking along with Jesus. And if I was just, because I am a disciple now, right? You're a disciple. If you've accepted Christ into your life, you are one of his disciples. And so what if I was one of his disciples that day? just kind of walking in the dusty road, doing whatever he was doing, following him and just being blown away by what was happening and how he was proving himself to be something so far more than a human being. And it brings the scripture alive to me a little bit. And then when Jesus starts to speak, it's almost like he is here with me presently because I've put my spirit into a, into a place where I'm ready to experience these things that the disciples are experiencing, and I'm ready to hear his voice like they heard his voice. And it's not the same. It's not, or maybe it is. I don't, I don't know. I'm just human, right? But it's not that Jesus is here today telling us these things, but it is. You know, one of the things about preaching the word and one of the reasons I just do it straight out of the Bible is that I believe these are the words that go out and bring life. That anything other than these words, like all the words I'm saying right now, are just my words. And they have value, maybe, most of the time, but they're not God's words. They're just my words. But it's when I'm in here that these, these things come alive. And um, it's just so difficult sometimes to set aside the time to read, right? Especially in a culture that's moving away from reading. Um, and you can, you know, there's plenty of audio Bibles. There's really, you know, a lot of different versions of the Bible. But, but this is where things come alive. And if you're really yearning for the experience of Jesus with you, then you need to be with Jesus. And that's done by being here. All right. Enough preaching. Let's, let's preach. All right. Luke 6, verses 17. I'm going to read 17 through 19 here. Just three little, well, three verses. It says that Jesus came down with them, which are his disciples, this whole crowd of people, and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. It's fascinating. Again, if you just do this as a word picture, you have Jesus, you know, he's up on this hill. There's a lot of back and forth about whether this was actually the same as the Beatitudes that Matthew talks about. It's likely this was actually a different speech, even though even in the weekly email, before I began my studies this week, I got it confused. 
right? But it's likely that it's on the same mountain, but it's on a level spot of the mountain. So Jesus is going down this mountainside, and he sees there's a ton of people with him, and it's kind of weird to talk or to listen while you're standing or sitting on the edge of, on the side of a mountain, right? It's, it's just not comfortable. And so he finds a level place on this mountain somewhere, just an open field or something, and, and he stops and he starts talking. But he ta- he, he's facing, it's clear that he's facing his disciples like I would be here, although you're not my disciples, to be clear. Uh, but it's like he's facing the people that are certainly following him. But he also is aware that there's all of these people that maybe aren't necessarily following him, though some of them probably are at this point, but just want to hear more. Or there's probably a lot of people in this crowd that have never encountered Jesus. But man, this guy is really becoming famous, this Jesus dude. I want to go at least hear them. Like, it's like us wanting to go to a concert, right? We want to see our favorite musicians live. And so these, some people are in the, out there in the crowd, I'm sure, were just like, I want to see this really famous guy. And then they just get captivated by what Jesus is doing. Because he is reality. He's authenticity. He's not putting on a show. He's not interested in any of that stuff. What is he doing? Well, He's doing two things here, and they're both healing. He's, he's doing outward things that are bringing spiritual healing to people and physical healing. So in verse 18, you have, you have him actually um, healing people that are troubled with unclean spirits. That's clearly spiritual healing. Many of us at times suffer from that, right? Great depression, great anger, great frustration, all of these negative emotions that I believe are spiritually fueled by demonic power. And so he's healing them of those things. But also, here's a cool thing. You're walking with Jesus. You're, you're in this level spot of the mountain with him, right? And you're hanging out. And you see people like coming up to him because he's a pretty casual guy. And um, they come up to him and they just want to touch him. And when they touch him, they're healed. And you watch these people coming up and touching him and getting like, I'm, whoa, I'm healed. And you, you get to see this like happening, but you're just standing back. You're not doing the healing because we're human. And it's just, it's mind blowing. Like, how does this happen? This is the son of God. It can't, there's no way you could do this kind of healing. But he was. And then in verse 20, he gives this little speech when everybody kind of settles down or maybe while they're touching him and getting healed, we don't know. But he says, it says that turning his gaze, Jesus's gaze towards his disciples. So again, he's focused on the people that are following him. He began to say, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Oh, okay. Uh, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. This is weird. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you. That means kind of isolate you, right? And insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Uh, This is not encouraging, Jesus. (laughs) But where are you going with this? Be glad in that day and leap for joy. 
For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you are receiving your comfort in full. I'm not getting encouraged by this. Woe to you who are well fed now. That's a little personal. For you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. I'm just thinking if I was there, I'd be like, I am so confused right now. Like this is not a happy message. Like, I guess I'm supposed to be poor, sad and crying all the time, and people need to be insulting me and bullying me, and then I'm blessed. It's not the way I want to live. It's not the way I want to live. And it doesn't seem consistent with you, Jesus, right? And then he goes on to say, woe to you who are rich. Well, can't wealthy people be good Christians? Yes. So... And, and woe to you who like, are laughing all the time. Woe that people speak so good to you. It's just such a weird conversation that Jesus is having. And I struggled with it when I was prepping for this week. And I've struggled with it when I've read it before. Because I just, it, it seems weird. It seems off somehow. But then when you start really digging into it, it's very interesting. Because here's the thing. For every blessing that he gives... He gives a matching woe. So in verses 20 and verses, verses 20 are blessings if you're poor. Verse 24 is woe if you're wealthy. Verse 21 is a blessing if you're hungry. Verse 25 is a blessing or is a woe if you're full. Verses 22 and 23 is, is if, you, if people are tolerate, or I'm sorry, verses 22 and 23 is, if people aren't tolerating you, if they're treating you poorly, well, you're blessed. Verse 26 is, if people are treating you well, woe to you, you're cursed. And so I, I pick that out, and I'm like, okay, I get that. Wealth, my resources, my sustenance, right? And just tolerance or grace. I really am into lately preaching this gospel of grace that Paul has talked about that's kind of revolutionized the way I see my own faith over the last just two months. Um, But what you see here is also made kind of clear with these prophet things. Because in verse 23, after he says all this negative stuff that blesses you, he talks about how people way back in the days of Judaism did the same things to the prophets. The prophets starved. They, They... they were poor in spirit, in money, and all of that. They were hated by people for bringing the messages of God because they didn't want to listen to it. This is what they did all along to the prophets. You shouldn't be surprised. And then these woes, you know, when you're rich and when you're well-fed and when all men speak well of you, well, that's what they're doing with the false prophets, you know, the people that are pleasers. The people that will get up and tickle your ears is the biblical language. Make you feel good. It's not that you can't feel good. I feel great as a Christian, right? And I felt much worse before I met Christ because I didn't know how to handle my life. That's not the point. The point is, it's kind of like the, to, to you know, someone who's given responsibility and does well, he'll be given more or 
you know, another one is, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Those kinds of things. As, as you're hungry, it's interesting and no surprise that people often meet Jesus in a very low spot of their life. That, that's my testimony at the point of suicide in my teen years. That's where I met Jesus because I was mad and uh, he knew it. But it's because I'm poor in spirit. I was certainly poor in wealth as a teenager, not that I'm rich now. And um, I was living on my own in high school and working graveyards and pay my rent during the day, you know, and going to high school during, it was just crazy, my, my dysfunctional family. And all of this stuff, I was really down, but all of that boiled in my life and built up pressure that kind of pushed me towards understanding. Like, if this is all that life is about, I want out, because this stinks. But I sensed that there was power and a different life that I didn't understand. And so while I, I didn't believe in God at the time, I find myself at knife point, literally, yelling at God that I'm so angry that he's wrecked my life, even though I don't have any conscious remembrance of ever thinking about God before that moment. And that I would devote my life to exposing what a ruiner of life he was. And look where I ended up. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Because, you know, again, um, I was talking with Michael Silva this morning, and he had this vision in his prayer closet where he met God and everything was black. In his closet, it was black. It was so dark, he couldn't see his hand in his face. But then he got this sense of the infinite. Like, like the black was just going to stretch out and it kept stretching out further and further and further. And it was like this infinite area. And that God spoke to him in the middle of that saying, this is where I live, in the infinite. And it was like a mind-blowing, spiritually overwhelming experience for Michael. And that's what it is, is that when we're focused on the, on the material side of wealth, when we're focused on the material side of sustenance, when we're focused on the material side of tolerance or grace, it's just hollow. It can get empty. It can get hollow. There are good things there, but in general, there's no underlying foundation. It's building your life on the sand, which is always shifting. But when we think about spiritual eternal wealth, that's different. When we think about spiritual eternal sustenance and resources and grace and tolerance, I think a successful Christian that's wealthy is seeking to become wealthier so they, they can be more generous. They can support churches. They can support missions. We're going to start a missionary series next uh, week, and I have someone visiting from Daughters of the King who was called into doing that ministry. They do it here once a month, though they've broken during COVID. They're starting back up. And... But it's, she's actually developing houses to support single moms with children that are on the verge of being homeless. So she rents these houses and then takes in donations from people and takes a very minimal rent from these women that doesn't cover the mortgage, no less. They, she also provides meals, biblical uh, studies, all this stuff on her dime. But she's called into that. She's, she's, she's done all right in life, 
She's not wealthy, but she's calling all of us out of our wealth to just give a little bit to help support this, right? And you find me doing this, other people doing this. Let's, let's buy 100 turkeys for the San Francisco Rescue Mission, right? Let's, let's do the, let's, everybody donate your blankets and jackets and let's get them out to the homeless. And you go ahead and buy yourself new blankets and jackets or socks or whatever. And so everybody wins, you know? There's nothing wrong with being a wealthy person until that wealth becomes your identity. Instead, I would challenge you as a Christian that the wealthier you become, you should be more and more defined by your generosity. While you bear in mind sustenance. I, I got to have a place to live. I got to have food, clearly. I, I've got to have a good vehicle or whatever. And some of these things, you don't got to have them. But we, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with being well-equipped, too. But that should flow secondarily out of you. Your generosity should be first. I've met people like that. I've met a lot of people like I know, not to embarrass her, I know Christina is a big person like that who's in real estate. If you're looking to buy or sell a house, that's the person you want to talk to. Um, but I, when I encounter her in that field, her heart is generous. She's not so much just out to make a sell or to make a purchase, but she's out to take care of the people that have entrusted their relationship financially with her or their real estate with her. And, so, and there's plenty of people. Sorry, I didn't ask your permission to share that. Uh, but there's plenty of people out there that do this. They take care of themselves. They make sure their families are taken care of, but their primary drive is generosity making sure others are taken care of as well. And then just grace. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't the world need more grace right now? I mean, I say that every week, I think, now. When people are talking bad about, our, about us, we don't want that. We're never going to want that. It's never going to be good. But we got to expect it sometimes because people don't understand anymore the concept of generosity. Radical generosity. I think people are actually quite generous, but this radical generosity that Jesus provides. People don't understand sometimes this radical need to get out and heal people through prayer, through fellowship, through whatever, you know, taking someone to a doctor's appointment, helping them pick up groceries, whatever it is, pushing your schedule out so that theirs can be met. That's radical generosity coupled with radical sustenance and grace, right? But these are the marks of a Christian. These are the marks, uh, to say it a different way, of a follower of Jesus, because these are the marks of Jesus himself. It's not us. It is Christ in us, the hope, the hope of glory. Verse 27, pick it back up. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other one. And also, whoever takes away your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. How many times have you heard of someone who loaned a friend something and never got it back and now is just angry? 
How many times was that you? <laughs> right? Um, one of the things I do in my life is I, I like to loan my stuff out, and I, I care if it comes back, but it's not nearly as important as the other person. If I'm loaning something to someone, it's because they need it, and I want to meet their needs. It's a radical generosity, but I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. If someone hits me, I am going to defend myself. Don't come after Pastor Scott, smack him on the cheek and see if it's going to work because you're going to get smacked back probably. But I'll try. I'll try really hard. And I know I shouldn't, and you probably won't get smacked back. But, but it's difficult. When I was working in the homeless field, um, I haven't told everybody this yet, although I think everybody in this room knows this, but um, I had to leave that field very suddenly because I had a mental break because I developed what was later diagnosed as a sudden onset anxiety disorder from going toe to toe with, with violent homeless people, which are very few of the homeless. I'm just saying I was seeing them all and often my life was at risk. I was telling Kathy uh, just yesterday that I probably didn't tell her half of the times that my life was in danger out in the field, but I stayed at it. And what really transformed things was not not a, um, uh, a suicidal way of living or, uh, what, or just being a doormat or what have you, but it's staying in the fight because I want this person transformed. I'm willing to give of myself to have them see a better way. And so I might walk up to someone and, and someone's tent out in the woods somewhere and go, hey man, it's Scott. And you might hear them jump out and give you a hug and you're giving them food and water or they might start yelling and all your hackles go up because you know them by this point. So you know what's coming and they come leaping out of their tent and they come rushing at you. I never got hit, never got pushed, but it was certainly right there. <laughs> and it was more of a case of trying to taunt me to swing first so they could defend themselves in a courtroom setting, because that was what would happen, right? And so what overcame that for a while was love. Was just saying, look, I know you're pissed. I'm sorry you're angry about this. You're projecting your anger onto me, which is okay. I'm your friend. That's what friends do. But you need to back off a little bit, because now I'm getting scared. And if you want me to keep coming back, you know, we got to be friends. You can't, you can't hurt your friends. Oh, I'm really sorry, man. I'm really sorry. It's just a horrible day. And I'm like, I get that, man. Let's sit down and talk about it. I'm so sorry. What's going on? Right? I did that once in Pleasant Hill on the other side of the canal from Target. Some of you know where that is. And I talked to a guy who ended up just breaking down in tears and telling me his life. And it was tragic and most of the mistakes he had created and he had made. And I'm trying to lead him out of that. And a week later, I hear he had a heart attack and died. And he was in his 30s. And so it, it's this heartbreaking stuff that is so difficult, but we have to hang in there. We have to overcome evil with good. The most difference I've ever made in anybody's life is when they're incredibly negative or antagonistic, and I can diffuse it with love and authenticity and genuineness. Not an agenda, not a manipulation, but somehow just making me go, okay, this isn't about you, Scott, so don't get offended. Get in there and love this guy. 
and bring them to Christ or bring them to a house or bring them to rehab or bring them to anywhere he needs to go. But he needs you and he needs you. And it was hard. This isn't a passive concern for other people. This is the problem, I think, right now, especially, I'm not going to say especially in America, especially in areas that are doing really well, is that it, we become passive, right? Like, I'm okay. My life's pretty good. I've had it rough in the past, and now it's finally a little good. I'm going to rest a little bit here. Um, I'm j I just don't want to go get involved in that, and that's okay. But you can't really say that to everything and still be a Jesus follower. There were many times, we talked about it last week, where Jesus would go up on a mountainside or something by himself because he just had to get away and pray, right? He had those moments, but he always came back down. And he always engaged people, always engaged people. You know, he says, we were just... Uh, we were just in, we're going through Luke, and we were just in Luke 4. And in Luke 4, 18, he quotes a passage where he, he goes out of Isaiah, remember, where he quotes this passage, and then he closes the scroll or the, or the codex or whatever it was, and he just sits down and says, and, and today in, in your ears this has been fulfilled, right? And here's what he quotes in, in Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That might be economically poor. It might be spiritually poor. There's a lot of poors. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. Jesus was always about that. We should always be about that, setting free those who are oppressed by anything, even their own choices. And it's not always going to be good. We need some positivity in our lives, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be assaulted all the time. I don't want to be thought negatively all the time. I don't want all that stuff, but I know it's going to come but I need criticism, too. I need constructive criticism to be a better preacher, to be a better father, to be a better husband, to be a better friend. I need some good criticism. I can't surround myself with yes men because that does nothing for me but just stoke my wrong and sinful ego. And so it's this weird balance. But we need both to become better and to grow. And this... This grace, sorry, this grace is why we need more discussions in the world and less arguments. Because in verse 31, he kind of sums it up with the golden rule. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. It's not even reciprocity, right? It's not even that you, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be good to you working out in the field of homelessness, wherever, working at, at, the, at your job, in the classroom, at church. Can I say that? In your house. I'm going to do these good things to you, but you better do it back, or I ain't going to do that no more. And I expect you to do good things for me, and I'll do good things for you in return. That's the human way, right? 
That's the way we all want to live. I mean, that's the way we all feel like it works, but it's not. That's what Jesus is driving home with these blessed and woes, is that it's, it's not what you can get out of the other person. It's what that other person can get out of Christ. It's a surrendering of yourself to the Holy Spirit and to following Jesus in a way that's powerful and real. If you feel like your faith is not powerful and real all the time, I want to challenge you to think and pray this week about how much you're putting your generosity out there. How much you're, maybe, you know, in this time of COVID, we've all kind of retracted. I have, and we've all isolated a little bit. I have. But what that does is it, it takes away the potential for generosity, right, too? And fear really does that. Why do you think God says elsewhere, love casts out all fear? Because what happens, we start being afraid of things, and we have good reasons for them sometimes. And yet that, that fear dampens our love. If you're in love with somebody, you can't be afraid of them. That's just common sense. And if you're afraid of... <laughs> I'm not even going to mention who that was. And if you're, af <laughs> if you're afraid of somebody, you can't be in love with them. And yet you're still going to have conflict, right? But you're not going to have fear. That's something different. Hanging... Um, Hanging up in my office, actually, I'm going to get back to that in a minute, but this is the golden rule, right? This is the gospel of grace, is to treat other people the way you want them to treat you. If you were homeless, if you were wealthy, if you were atheist, if you were Christian, if, if you were uh, in the military, if you were Democrat, if you were Republican, it doesn't matter, it's all the gospel of grace. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. And here's how you do it. Verse 32. Look, if you love those, only, if you only love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them, right? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But, you know what? Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward, it's a promised reward here, will be great. And you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil people. See, it's not, it's not something you do. It's something you're trying to emulate. It's not you being great or good. It's Jesus being great and good. And as a follower of him, as someone who said, this is the best way to live, then you're going to go after that and emulate that. And then through that emulation, in that copying of, of Jesus' way of living, you're going to very, very quickly understand and be startled by how good and powerful your life and Jesus becomes in your life. Suddenly you become the person that nobody can understand 
why you're so generous, why you, you reach out to people that don't deserve to be reached out to, why you are the peacemaker in your family, but you're not a doormat. All these things that people just don't get in the common world because it's not common anymore. Hanging in my office, I, I ordered a decal, I don't know how long ago, and hung it up in my office. It's just to the right of my desk as I'm sitting down. I look at it every day and people comment on it. But Jesus, as he was finishing up his ministry, he says in uh, John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you. This is the last commandment he gives, and it's the new commandment. It's not, nothing new about it at all. But a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's a lot. You know, I can, I can choose to be around people. It's easy when you're in, a, in a, fam, a church family like this or any other church family, hopefully. I can choose to be around people I love and appreciate and want to hang out with. That's not that hard. Be, and especially if they want to hang out with me, right? Because then it's like a mutual thing. This is good. We're not going to have massive conflict. I have some people that I hang out with that I love. Strangely, I can think of one in particular I love even more deeply. And we have radically different opinions in this case of this person I'm thinking about of theology. Radically different. But we have the best times together talking about theology <laughs> and other things, you know. But when it comes to somebody that just has been so hardened by the world, so hardened by their own families, so hardened by the situation that they're in right now, or just so hardened by mental illness or falling into negative ways of living and being and thinking and talking and relating and all these things... It's really difficult. Like, just saying it, I feel like this pressure on my chest. Like, oh, man. <laughs> but those are the people that need someone to love them. And to love them unconditionally because, you know what? They're not going to have the capacity to return that love at first. Because they built their whole life on something very different. This is kind of similar to trying to explain your faith to somebody, right? It's really, really hard to define. Because they look at you, and maybe they even ask some opening questions like, why are you so different? Those are my favorite questions, because I'm like, okay, I'm actually being someone different. <laughs> uh, the worst ones are like when, they find, when they're like, what do you do for a living? And I say, oh, I'm a pastor. And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, what did I do wrong? You know, but... Um, the hardest things to do, but the things that bring us closest to Jesus is the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is to get out there, to walk on the mountains, to, to look even for a level place so people can be comfortable while they listen to you. Even though those people that are being comfortable, a lot of them are just going to be like, uh, no, I'm out. And leave, you know, and maybe end up shouting crucify him in the crowd later on. But he doesn't care. He's radically generous, not only with his life, but with his love and with his taking care of other people. And the thing that's hard to explain to somebody that's not a follower of Jesus and to people that are followers of Jesus that really haven't locked into this yet 
is the fact that suddenly life becomes worth living. It's not just a chase after the money, after the better house, after a spouse, after whatever your after is. It becomes, I, I was reading about wealth building this week and it just sprung to me, this is the same thing. So when you're, when you're wealth building, I need to, that's why I was reading it. Um, there's this thing called passive wealth. And so what you do is you invest in something that you don't really have to supervise, right? You can just invest in it and the return will just keep coming back to you no matter what happens. And the hard part is finding wealth, passive wealth, that won't be affected by a turbulent society. So maybe buying a house and renting it out, people are always going to want to rent a house. So if your house just plummets in values or skyrockets in values, it kind of doesn't matter to you because you're paying X for a mortgage, they're paying Y for rent, and you have this little bit of extra that's different, that's Z, and that will just always come to you. Always, so it's passive. And then you just find something else and lay that on, and something else. And so the goal, apparently, for a, a, someone that wants to retire wealthy is to have a ton of passive wealth happening every month so that it just goes into eternity. It's called perpetual wealth. So you don't have to do anything when you decide to retire. This money will just keep passively coming in, and you've decided when that's a high enough level for you, right? So I know I'm talking money, and I'm going to make a hard right turn here to spirituality, but it's the same with Christ in a very different way, spiritually, that when I lay in some passive spiritual wealth, just accepting him as my Lord and Savior, and then leaning into that, when it gives me a little passive wealth, just a little bit. When I decide to, to be a Sunday school teacher pretty early on, um, and be a little generous with that and start learning more about the Bible because you have to to teach the little ones, um, then that starts building more passive wealth, spiritual wealth into me. And then learning more and studying more and reading the Bible, going to school, whatever it is, serving wherever you are, helping the homeless in the name of Christ, not just in the name of hope, helping the homeless or whatever it is. I, I harp on the homeless a lot, I know, because that's what I I know um, there's a million other causes out there, but it starts building all this passive spiritual wealth inside of you. It's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, and every layer is good, and every layer is eternal. So it's the ultimate perpetual wealth. And this is what God is trying to get at, I think. This is part of what Christ was trying to get at with the blessings and the woes. There's nothing wrong with being rich, but we've seen Hollywood people and politicians and just generally rich people just train wreck things, right? Horribly. But we've also seen some of them that we admire for what they're doing, what they're giving back. Generally, what we end up admiring and what makes someone in those categories longer lasting even in their wealth is their generosity, And so why wouldn't we build the same wealth in ourselves? And again, because I've talked about money in this too, I'm not talking about money. <laughs> I'm not. It will require money. It takes money to go on a mission trip. 
It takes money to encounter a family on that mission trip and say, can you drive me to a store? I want to buy them a 50-pound bag of rice, right? It, it, it does take money to do things, unfortunately. It won't in eternity, but it does right now. But that's what this is not about. What this is about is spiritual wealth because that's the passive wealth that undergirds everything. And even if you're building your material wealth at the same time as you're building your, your spiritual wealth, that material wealth will be directed by your spiritual wealth. And so you become a generous blessing to others as you're blessing yourself. As you start to follow Christ, even the things that you do begin to change and begin to fuel your life, both physically and spiritually. That's what he was talking about when he was out there casting demons from people, helping heal them spiritually, but also heal them physically. We all need great physical healing. We all need great spiritual healing. But we're chasing after the wrong things to get there. I want to live a life that no matter how hard tomorrow morning's going to be and tomorrow when I fall asleep, I'm satisfied. I feel, I feel good. I feel like my life has meaning and purpose and is getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. I would love for the money to catch up to that. But anyway, but spiritually, it's just getting wealthier and wealthier. And I'm, I'm feeling better and better all the time. What would take a guy who has a mental breakdown in homelessness ends up on a couch in the dark in his living room for four months. You, many of you know me, so you know that's not who I am. That's all I could do. What takes a guy who has to flee a Walmart in a panic attack, which actually kind of we all do, but anyway, what takes a guy that flees a Walmart in a panic attack and is devastated from an experience of shopping to healing. Some counseling, a lot of my incredible wife, but it was the Lord that healed me. And I know that because I sat in a corner of that dark living room for four months and I read God's word I read a couple of devotionals. I felt called to read a book on the book of Acts, which didn't make any sense to me. And then, about the week of Christmas that year, 2018, I was healed. Like, I had a moment, much like when I came to faith reading the Bible, where I don't have that clear moment where I'm like, I'm good again. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But all of a sudden, I realized something's changed. I'm healed. And I felt God saying, I have healed you. You spent time with the master physician and, and you're healed. You're going to be different now. You're going to understand people with anxiety now. You're going to understand people with depression and all these things that seem strange to people that don't understand it. I'm like, thanks, God. That's real encouraging. Thanks for putting me through that. That's the blessings and the woes. And then I get a call to come serve at a church by people who know I'm going through this and have gone through this and are praying me through it along with other people. And I just start dipping my toes back into the life because I know all this passive 
Jesus in my life, all this passive spirituality that's healthy and good is holding me up and I'm a stronger person and a weaker person because of that. That is the power that Jesus offers for all of our lives. <clears throat> he, can, he can overcome suicide. He can overcome anxiety. He can overcome depression, anger, bitterness, your parents, your kids, your spouse, your, your friends, your, your boss. He can overcome all of that stuff because it's really not that important in the long run. Ten years down the road, when you're in a different season of life, it's, it's not even going to matter. But when you have Jesus in your life, bringing all this passively to you constantly, that will matter. That will stack. And suddenly you find yourself spiritually wealthy and just unbelievably content with life, no matter what comes your way. So I encourage you, if you, if you have not followed Jesus, to do that, to just dip your toe in the water, if nothing else. If I'm wrong, I'm living a stronger, more positive life. If I'm right, and logically and scientifically is how I've worked out my faith. I know that sounds weird, but that's how I did it. I'm a skeptic. If I'm right, Jesus has all the answers to everything you're asking right now. All of them. And, and more. I'd encourage you to focus on the focus. Jesus. He is the focus. Everything else is secondary. He's the main thing. Church is secondary. Your ministry is secondary. Jesus had some hard things to say about your family being secondary. He is the focus because he flows into all those other things. Praise the blessings. Blessed are you. Praise those things. The negative parts, but also the positive parts. Transform those negative things into positive things, right? Stop doing this over here that's tearing your marriage apart, tearing your life apart, tearing your kids apart, your whatever it is, tearing yourself apart, and start doing this. Because this is just a bunch of woe, but this is a lot of blessing. Why would you want to live in woe all your life? And be the gospel of grace. Because none of this happens without grace, right? I didn't need to be out in the homeless field. On some level, I didn't want to be out in the homeless field. But I believe God has shown me a tremendous, tremendous amount of grace in my life. And the least I could do is show some more for other people. And so I left. And I went out into the field. And I got hurt, and I got back on my feet again, and I keep pushing forward. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, for, for our lives. Thank you for our children and our, our spouses, our friends, our parents. Help us be better people of grace and better followers of you, Lord. Lord, if there's anyone listening right now that just hasn't soaked this in before, I just pray that this has been 
a two by four that has just smacked them in the head and, and is transforming their way of thinking about you. If they're a follower of you, to realize like this isn't a passive thing. Like this is something, if I start investing in, I will build into my life some wealth, some spiritual wealth. If, if people are listening right now and, and they've walked away from you because they've encountered us humans in your church, they've been hurt, they've been judged, they've, they've encountered massive hypocrisy, they've seen that across the news, they've seen that wherever it goes, help them get past us and get to you. And we're so sorry to have gotten in the way. Father, for those that are listening that don't have any relationship with you and don't even know where to start or if they want to start, Father, I just pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to touch their lives every time that they have a passing glimpse of you in their lives in the days to come that would remind them that maybe you're calling to them, that you have something better to offer, even better than what they already think they have. Surround them, bring someone into their lives that will, will help them understand that they can ask questions from and, and not be judged, that they could just learn you. Lead them to the Bible, either a, a Bible app or a Bible, printed Bible or, or, or a, the Bible, the gospel of some uh, loving person that wants to come and, and share the, the, your word with them, Father. But whatever you do, Father, we just ask that you would help us help transform this world into a place of grace and away from the anger and bitterness and, and hatred and infighting and all the stuff that's always going on, Father. Teach us to teach others a better way. And we just, we just ask and pray for all these saints as we love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week.